0: just over two weeks away, a lot going on in a lot of different campaigns around Michigan this past week. Uh, we had a couple of debates. Uh, one of them was last night at uh, channel four in Detroit, uh, between the democratic candidates for governor, uh, Sri Tannadar, Gretchen Whitmer, Abdul El Sayed, uh, were before the viewers. It was live streamed, uh, for an hour. Uh, I would say it was an inconclusive debate in that. I doubt it's going to really change minds or have that much of an impact. We can't be sure how many people voting in the democratic primary on August 7th actually saw the debate, but Abdul El Sayed got a lot more aggressive in this debate. He went after Gretchen Whitmer, uh, a number of issues, uh, particularly, uh, Corporate financing of politics and campaigns, very aggressive. I think both El Sayed and Whitmer did the best of the three. Sri Tanadar is not at his best in a debate forum. Now, there was a debate also on WJR in Detroit radio this week between John James and Sandy Penzler, who are the two Republicans running for the U.S. Senate. Uh, that's going to be decided on August 7th. They debated, uh, they went back and forth on a lot of uh, pretty kind of personal, uh, petty charges that one or the other was a phony conservative and really a moderate, or uh, one of them had uh, colluded between his campaign and a PAC, which is illegal. And the other had sold some property in, Florida and then pocketed the $2 million to use in his campaign. And instead of taking care of employees who were laid off that kind of thing, I I just don't think that moves the needle uh, for people looking to uh, which one they find most appealing on August 7th and who they're going to vote for in a Republican primary. And either one of them is going to be a heavy underdog to Debbie Stabenow in November. Uh, There was also uh, a poll taken this week uh, in the 13th Congressional District by Target Insight, and it showed a pretty much three-way tie between three Democrats, uh, Brenda Jones, uh, William Wilde, and Rashida Tlaib, uh, with about 20% apiece. Uh, On the Democratic side, this is to fill the vacancy of the departed John Conyers. Uh, who resigned late last year and to uh, also uh, elect uh, the congressperson for the next two years in that district. Uh, In the 11th district, Target Insight took another poll. That's a district that is open in western Wayne County and uh, southwestern Oakland County, uh, because David Trott, a Republican incumbent, is retiring. There are five uh, Democrats running, uh, five Republicans, very heated. Uh, this was a democratic poll showing, uh, Haley Stevens, who was the Obama administration auto bailout expert. She is leading in this race on the democratic side, 21%, uh, Sunil Gupta, uh, businessman in, uh, Birmingham, uh, spent the most money, raised the most money in this race so far. 15% Tim Grimal, the former state house democratic leader, uh, at, uh, 14% and Fayrou Saad at 11%. Um, also coming up, uh, there is going to be, uh, in Flint next week, July 25th, a key decision made in district court where the judge David Goggins has to decide, whether to bind over Nick Lyon, who is director of the state department of health and human services to circuit court for a trial, uh, under charges by the attorney general of Michigan, that he is responsible for two deaths of two men, uh, from Legionnaires disease a couple of years ago in Flint, or I should say Genesee County, uh, as a result of the Flint water crisis, that uh, somehow Nick Lyon was derelict in not uh, alerting uh, the citizens of Flint or the governor or the state to what was going on and that he is to blame, at least indirectly, for the deaths of these two men. This is the longest-running preliminary exam Uh, Some say in the history of district courts in the state of Michigan, it's been going on since last fall and they haven't even reached the point where the judge uh, can make the decision to uh, bind Nick Lyon over or not bind him over to circuit court for a trial. But the judge, David Goggins, has said uh, he's going to do that uh, next week, July 25th. Uh, My personal feeling is Probably Uh, the special prosecutor appointed by Bill Schuette, the attorney general, whose name is Todd flood has not made a compelling enough case for Nick Lyon to be bound over. But I have a feeling that David Goggins might kick the can down the road and bind him over anyway, but then it will be in circuit court. And I think the defense for Nick Lyon will make a motion to quash Uh, the entire case, and the circuit judge likely to get the case, Judith Fullerton, is a pretty strong judge who may, in fact, uh, rule in favor of the defense. We'll have to find out. This is all speculation by me, and I could be dead wrong. Let's see what happens next week. Uh, Also, one other development this week interesting, uh, Christopher Graveline, who is a former U.S. attorney, said he was going to run for attorney general as an independent. And a lot of Democrats were very nervous about that because he has a quasi democratic background and they thought his presence on the ballot in November might hurt the likely democratic nominee for attorney general, Dana Nessel. But now the secretary of state says, uh, Christopher Graveline did not get a significant, uh, number of signatures, an adequate number of signatures to qualify to be on the ballot as an independent. So he will not be running. And probably a lot of Democrats are breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, In a minute or so, we are going to uh, have a couple of special guests, we hope, uh, on I think really the big story of the week. And that was the uh, oral argument hearing in the U.S., excuse me, in the state Supreme Court uh, this Wednesday, where you had the group called, uh, voters, not politicians, uh, telling the justices that their ballot proposal for which they collected a huge number of signatures and a record amount of time on what I understand was an all volunteer basis. They didn't pay petitioners, uh, to collect signatures. This was done by volunteers. Uh, this measure, uh, is an amendment to the Michigan Constitution with a singular purpose, they say, to reform the way legislative and congressional maps are drawn every decade. It would create an independent commission to take over a task now controlled by whichever political party holds power in Lansing. Most recently, that was the Republicans in 2011. So the justices heard one and a half hours of oral arguments during a special session. Uh, called to hear a case that is fraught with political implications. Uh, Supporters of the proposal, this is the proposal called Voters Not Politicians, VNP, uh, who contend it would curb gerrymandering, rallied outside the Hall of Justice in downtown Lansing, chanting, quote, let the voters decide, unquote. Now, the reason they were having this argument before the Supreme Court is that the lawyers for Citizens Protecting Michigan's Constitution, Attorney General Bill Schuette's office argued that the proposal constitutes a revision of the Constitution and should only be dealt with at a convention. So uh, that's what the Supremes have to decide. Is it gonna go on the ballot in November or should it be barred from being decided by the voters? We are gonna be back in a minute with a couple of guests who can tell us a lot more about this, stay tuned. again and we have a couple of very important guests who are really going to help us out understand uh what's going on with this proposal uh that would reform the way legislative and congressional maps are drawn every decade uh by an independent commission rather than the legislature which it has been done historically in michigan we have with us uh, katie fahey Uh, who is the leader of the band. Uh, She is the gal that uh, organized the group that collected uh, hundreds of thousands of signatures on a volunteer basis in record time and uh, put the proposal uh, that would go on the November ballot, November 6th, uh, before the Board of State canvassers. Uh, Katie uh, Fahey, thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Are you there? Thanks,
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. And we also have Peter Hauk, uh, who is a member of the bar, an attorney. Uh, and he was in the Supreme Court uh, in uh, Lansing this week, the Hall of Justice, where uh, there were oral arguments heard, uh, presented by uh, Voters Not Politicians, Katie Fahey's group on the one side and on the other, an argument, uh, by a group called citizens protecting Michigan's constitution, uh, claiming that this proposal should not be allowed to go on the ballot. So I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Uh, let me just start out by asking, uh, Peter Hawk uh, what reason can you determine Mr. Hauck, that, the state Supreme Court would not allow this proposal to go on the ballot on November 6th, general election. Let me
2: state, first of all, that I think they're going to let it stay on the ballot because as one of the justices uh, noted in uh, her questioning, why would we not want to let 428,000 voters who signed their petitions have an opportunity to vote on this? I think that's where they're going to go. Uh, They looked, they asked us to argue the question of revision, whether or not this was a general overhaul of state government. And I think it's really clear it's not. We're aiming at one thing uh, setting up a commission, reforming the commission that's already in the Michigan Constitution to allow for a citizen's
0: panel to do redistricting. Okay. Uh, That is a very good argument. And Katie Fahey, let me just ask you this. I'm going to start with a supposition here, just a prediction. I'm just going to say that the state Supreme Court is going to allow this proposal to go on the ballot. It's going to be on the ballot, general election, November 6th. What do you, as the leader of voters, not politicians, and the spokesperson for it all these many months. What do you have to do? What are you going to do between now and November 6th to sell this proposal to the electorate in the state of Michigan?
1: You know, redistricting is one of those processes that only happens once every 10 years. Right now, the current process is done behind closed doors by our politicians who are drawing the lines for the races they're about to run in. So honestly, the biggest lift is so many people, because they aren't currently included in the process, don't really understand how it happens, when it happens, or the conflict of interest that lies within the current process. So our biggest lift is making sure people understand their opportunity to vote on this and what an independent citizens redistricting commission even is and the fact that it'll hold public hearings um, where they can actually apply to be on the commission or apply to give testimony at there so really we're focused on just going out and talking to people we've already knocked uh, seventy thousand doors is trying to help raise awareness on on what even will voters have the opportunity to vote on
0: well, that's what I was going to ask you you say you've already knocked on seventy thousand doors is that what it's going to take a lot of shoe leather and going door to door kind of on an all volunteer basis, kind of like you, uh, collected the petition signatures. Uh, are you going to be able to advertise on TV and on radio, uh, get your message out in any other way?
1: Yeah. So we're not the typical, uh, campaigns that you usually see going into November. We actually started from a Facebook post on my own personal Facebook, Um, which meant that we started without a bank account or without being an organization. And thankfully, we actually have had over 10,000 people individually donate to our campaign. So this is funded by a lot of individual um, people across our state, but but no secret billionaires. Um, And uh, so what we've found is that, you know, if we can go and have those face to face conversations, you can take the time to actually explain this to people. So we are planning on on hitting the streets that way. We're constantly trying to um, fundraise and and find more people so that we can compete with um, those that we know will be trying to potentially spread a misinformation campaign or just trying to um, smear the Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission away from what it actually is.
0: Do you think that this... Go ahead, Peter Houck, did you wanna say something?
2: No, I think it's
0: covered Okay. Well, let let me just ask you this. Citizens Protecting Michigan's Constitution, the group uh, that's been opposing you in court, um, let's say they lose. That's the uh, supposition I'm making here in talking about a campaign leading up to November 6th. Uh, Do you expect them to go out and raise money and try and really fight this? Uh, You know, maybe take out TV ads and stuff. I can't see them going door to door as you're doing but uh, do you think there's going to be a real fight that you're going to have, or do you think it's going to be pretty much a question of just convincing a passive electorate, uh, of what's going on and what your proposal is all about and why they should support it?
1: You know, I think that it probably will be, we've seen, uh, Citizens Protecting Michigan's Constitution or the Michigan Chamber of Commerce participate in a lot of uh, ballot initiative fights over the years. I, I know that in 2012, they had a very large vote no on everything campaign. Um, and it makes sense because right now uh, some of those individuals who are funding that benefit a lot from the current redistricting process or actually some of the people who've been in the room. Um, you know, Bob Lebrant's been really vocal about coming out against our proposal. And, and he, you know, is one of the masterminds behind the most recent set of maps. So I think that uh, there's a, you know, there's a way that we do it right now. It benefits a very small group of people um, and that changing it and bringing it out into the open, letting citizens participate probably seems pretty threatening. And so, uh, we're anticipating just like they have kind of, since we announced day one, that, the, that, the opposition isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah.
2: You know, I think yeah. all we have to do is look at, uh, we filed a Mika brief on behalf of, uh, our, uh, opposition and the Fairlines group is basically funded by the Koch brothers. So I think it would be foolish for us to expect that
0: they won't be uh, funding a uh, media campaign. I gotcha. Okay, look, let's take a short break here. We'll come back with another 10 minutes of commentary from Peter Howick and Katie Fahey on Voters Not Politicians, the ballot proposal to change the way Michigan redistricts its legislative and congressional lines every 10 years. Okay, it's Bill Ballinger. I'm back. Uh, with a political insider. We got two uh, very impressive guests here today. Katie Fahey, who is the leader of Voters Not Politicians, of uh, the proposal to take away the power to draw legislative and congressional district lines every 10 years from the legislature and give it to an independent commission. We also have uh, Peter Hauk, uh who is an attorney, a member of the bar, uh, who is an uh, expert on uh, what's going on in the states Supreme court right now with this proposal, because the justices have to decide, uh, whether allow this on the ballot or not. And they are expected to do that in a matter of days, not, uh, weeks. Uh, let me, uh, just go back to Katie Fahey and ask her what I probably should have asked her in the first place. I did it backwards. Uh, Katie Fahey explain to everybody, what is this proposal? What is this commission? What would it consist of?
1: Yeah. So, um, basically the, the proposal is to reform the way our current, uh, Legislative districts, our state house, state senate districts are drawn. Um, and the key to it is in our name. Uh, we would like voters to be in charge of drawing those district lines instead of politicians. Um, right now, uh, the system works with uh, politicians, our legislature forming committees, drawing up their own maps, doing, you know, trading favors, and then the governor gets a, a veto or approval. And what we're saying is that that should actually be done out in the open in a completely transparent process where the people of Michigan and the communities of Michigan could come and participate. It would be a 13-member independent citizens redistricting commission uh, that would have uh, four voters who identify as Republicans, four voters who would identify as uh, Democrats, and then five voters who either identify with a third party or who are independent voters. Um, And they would hold public meetings across their state taking input, and then they have very strict criteria uh, telling them how to draw these lines. And actually, all All of that criteria, the feedback on on what order should it be in, you know, how should this commission be comprised, was actually a thought child of thousands of Michiganders that we went out and asked their opinion on on what should this look like and what system do you want right now if it's not politicians drawing these lines. Um, And what we really heard was they wanted a process you could participate in. They wanted to understand the decisions behind why these lines are being drawn, be able to actually see and hear the debates on that, Um, and they wanted it to be impartial uh so that uh that you know democrats republicans and, and third parties would all be at the table together um and in order to approve any of these final maps um the commission will actually have to go out back across the state make sure people have another final say on it and then they'll need two democrats two republicans and two independents to all vote uh yes, in order to approve it. So we're kind of trying to do something we don't see a lot in Michigan right now and, and get some compromise that's happening.
0: Yeah, let me ask, who uh, picks the uh, four Republicans, and the four Democrats, and the others? I mean, who makes the decision as to who, who gets to sit on the commission?
1: <laughs> yeah, so the quick answer is like no one person actually makes that decision. Um, in Michigan, we have a lot of partisan offices, uh, which some people might think is fortunate, or other people might think is unfortunate. And we were trying to be really intentional based on what we learned in other states who have independent commissions to to not put too much power in a single individual or appointed person, because this really needs to be a process that the people can trust. Right now, there's a lot of distrust in our political process and our election system. And the number one thing we're looking to do with this proposal is restore some of our trust in this like basic building block of democracy and how our elections are run. So it's kind of like the lottery. Um, uh, There will be uh, some different statistical waiting to make sure that, you know, not everybody can come from Wayne County or not everybody can come from Kent County, uh, but it'll be a randomized process from those who apply. And if you're a registered voter and uh, you aren't disqualified for any reason, meaning you were a politician recently um, or closely related, then uh, you can apply to actually be on that commission.
0: What about the (laughs) secretary of state? Does he or she have uh, extraordinary power in this whole process, either the way members are picked or the way the commission is run?
1: No, they really don't. So right now, our Secretary of State obviously is in charge of just facilitating all of the elections in Michigan. Uh, They don't get to choose who the governor ends up being or um, who our legislators end up being, even if some of us maybe want that to be the case. But um, they are in charge of making sure the ballot is prepared and that people can get registered to vote. And that same kind of administrative function is being applied to this commission. So the Secretary of State will make sure that an application is available. They'll make sure that they're sending out applications. They're receiving them, making sure anybody who doesn't meet the right criteria is uh, thrown out of the application process. But really, uh, they're the only, yeah, body in the government that that has the administrative process to just make sure that this is actually facilitated.
2: You know, I, I <laughs> to uh, recognize that. When our constitution was drafted in '63, the commission that was formed then, the Secretary of State had a continuing role as a non-voting member of that commission. Uh, so, this ha- having the Secretary involved here is not a novel idea.
0: Okay. What happens if this fall, let's say you had the nominee for one of the major political parties, let's say the Republicans saying, you know, I don't like this proposal. I'm against. Uh, And let's say the other candidate uh, for the Democrats said, I like this proposal. Uh, Would that make a difference in terms of which one is elected in November going forward as to whether uh, the secretary of state could be trusted to administer this in a fair way, depending on Uh, Whether they were for your ballot proposal or against.
1: Yeah, I think it, it wouldn't matter. Um, our secretary of state right now, I mean, this is the main part of that office's job. It's to make sure that the administrative pieces of our elections, um, and our licenses, uh, are all followed. And that would be the same exact thing. Maybe they, you know, don't like, uh, the the criteria or whatever that is in the constitutional amendment, but the beautiful part about this being in the constitution will be that that law trumps whatever one individual's, uh, Personal perspective is. We really tried to make sure that this could be an independent process, so that you know, just because somebody gets elected one year or or a different party gets elected a different year, they couldn't mess with it. So that the intention behind what the people of Michigan want stays the pure focus of that body instead of uh, one or a few individuals.
0: Well, let me ask you. In the past, um, historically. Um, when uh, these maps are drawn up, the state house, the state Senate, Congress, and there has been some dissatisfaction among a group of voters or a party or whatever, uh, they usually appeal the, uh, reapportionment or redistricting plan that has been enacted. Uh, they go to court and it usually ends up, let's say in the state Supreme court, um, What's the recourse uh, in your scenario uh, if, in fact, when your commission gets all through with its work and issues it's, uh, plan or its map for these three different bodies for uh, the Michigan uh, congressional delegation and for the state senate and the state house. What happens if somebody wants to protest and appeal the map and claim that maybe it is a gerrymander in their permit in their opinion, even though you might disagree with it or the commission might disagree with it? What is yeah. what is the recourse and what what happens next?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'll start, and then Peter, if you have anything you want to ha- throw. In, feel free, but, um, you know, that's a really relevant question too. So right now there is a lawsuit brought against the current maps um, that are being drawn. It's costing the state of Michigan a lot of money. Um, at the federal level, there's a lot of uh, uh, court cases as well. Um, and one thing to just note is that all of the current court cases, there's one from North Carolina, there's one from Maryland, there's one from uh, uh, Wisconsin, none of those maps were drawn by independent citizens districting commissions. And what you see in states that do have independent citizens redistricting commissions draw the maps is even if there is a challenge there, because everything is done out in the open, there's not a lot of, you know, people have been watching along the way. Um, And there's not a lot of hidden information that people find out later. And you really can understand. Um, It's a pretty clear cut case. The evidence is right there. Uh, And you see that those maps are upheld far more often and that the litigation is dismissed uh, far more frequently, which actually saves states and taxpayers a lot of money. Um, Right now in the process, uh, if a map is drawn um, and a lawsuit's brought against it, uh, the courts will look at it and then it'll go back to the legislature to redraw those maps and that's kind of the same thing with our commission. Uh, If uh, somebody wants to bring a lawsuit because they think that the very clearly laid out criteria wasn't followed, they certainly can, that is their right, Uh, but the courts will review that and then uh, if the maps need to be redrawn, the process will restart.
0: So the commission would have to redraw, right?
1: Yep. Just like our legislature currently redraws the maps if there's something similar that happens.
0: Listen, I'd love to keep you on longer. If you can stay any longer, uh, you know, just nine more minutes, I could keep talking, asking you questions. You're coming up with some great stuff. Can you do that? Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. Give us just a couple of seconds here. Okay. We're back uh, with Katie Fahey, the leader of the pack of the voters, not politicians group, which did a masterful job of collecting hundreds of thousands of signatures in a very short period of time uh, to get this proposal on the ballot, Uh, November 6th, general election. And we have Peter Houck uh, I don't know whether your official title might be legal counsel to this group, but you're certainly, I guess the most prominent attorney associated with it I can think of. What do you think? I'm the
2: lead of, uh, uh, litigation counsel
0: for them. Okay, great. Well, let me ask you just uh, one question. I'm just a little intrigued. There's some language in your proposal about communities of interest. Can you explain what communities of interest are? and how they would factor into the work of the commission in deciding how to draw up these maps. Either one of them.
2: Communities of interest are easily thought of as, if you look in, for example, in my community, we have a township, we have a city, we have an overlapping school district. So you want to take account of things like that, as well as... You want to look at if a an area is primarily agriculture as opposed to urban, you don't want to be necessarily mixing those two up if you can avoid that. But the important thing to remember is that's just one factor in the several factors that the uh, uh, proposal tells us to look at. The first thing you have to do is look at the Voters' Rights Act, which would require that uh, we have equal numbers in each district and that they not be designed to exclude any group of individuals or to favor any political interest.
0: Okay. Are there other factors as well, besides uh, community uh, communities of interest and the voting rights act, which is a federal act, if I'm not mistaken, uh, what are some of the other factors? What about factors that have, been considered i think by the legislature the last couple of decades like compactness and um contiguousness and uh you know not not breaking not breaking township or city lines are they going to be factors at all anymore or are they going to be disregarded no
2: those will all be considered so go ahead and and, and it's interesting when you go back and look at the um State Supreme Court decision in 1990, after the 1992 redistricting, one of the things that they looked at was whether the map, uh, in redistricting it, tried to pack and crack black voters into districts to disadvantage them. So that would be one of the things we might look at, too.
0: Okay. Um, isn't there some language in there? I don't have it in front of me that says that one thing the commission should try to do is, um, not draw up districts that give an obvious advantage to one political party or the other. Am I wrong about that or not?
2: No, you're not wrong about that.
0: Well, okay. I guess then my question would be only what happens when you get down, let's say in the city of Detroit, where you've got, um, a population that's really pretty much 90% democratic, and the districts are not going to be big enough uh, to avoid having, you know, three, four, five, six districts in the house, let's say two or three in the Senate uh, that would cover the city of Detroit. And it seems like to me, like the Democrats, they, they would just be overwhelmingly democratic districts. I don't know how you could avoid that.
2: I think the idea Bill, is you don't want to have that done on an intentional basis So what you don't want to do is be drawing these gerrymandered, zigzag districts to accomplish what you just said. If you're drawing them compactly, if you're looking at all the other factors, you're going to be just fine.
0: I see. In other words, you're saying basically where it should be obvious to any fair-minded person that the commission had no choice other than to, draw the districts they did in a population area that is overwhelmingly democratic or maybe even overwhelmingly republican there shouldn't be a problem but if there's evidence that the commission is finagling things and uh you know making weird shaped districts to achieve ends that have uh, you know questionable purpose and outcomes then that's where uh an outside group or a court looking at it would say, Hey, this is nefarious. This is potentially a gerrymander and it shouldn't be allowed according to the language of the new BNP proposal.
2: correct.
1: Okay. Katie, yeah. you, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say that. So I think earlier you were referencing the APOL standards and all of that uh, criteria is still in this language as well. We're just adding in, more factors so that you can look at things like school districts which i think is how a lot of us end up buying our houses um or or some of those other uh i have representative Amash, uh and you know he made a reference that battle creek and kalamazoo for one of the first times have been separated and so now battle creek and grand rapids are together yet battle creek and kalamazoo share an airport so would the people of kalamazoo and battle creek instead suggest that they would want to be kept together for economic interests versus the other. Um, And going back also to the just not giving political advantage, one of the problems we see, and I'm sure you can think of a lot of (laughs) examples, is if you and I were running against each other in a race coming up and these lines are about to be redrawn, and let's say I'm in office and you're not, um, and I know where you live. I can literally find your house and, you know, basically three months before the election, draw you out of the district you were about to run in because I'm scared you're going to win over me. And that's a short term decision that's being made that is going to affect the next 10 years worth of elections. And it's a really big problem. Um, We have a former rep Joe Schwartz on our board of directors. And I know that, you know, he's an example of being uh, drawn out of a district. And I think we just see that again with political parties, there's a lot of incentive to want to be able to choose which politician ends up getting elected. And this criteria is specifically trying to just create that even playing field and make it so that it's a impartial system instead of being uh, geared towards those already in power.
0: Yeah, when it comes (laughs) to people in power, I'm a little curious. Um, there is a school of thought uh, historically, maybe it's not valid anymore. Um, that if you've got somebody uh, of substance with seniority in Congress, uh, who's maybe a famous person, very effective, uh, considered a national treasure, um, you want to try and keep them there. Uh, let's say David Bonior, who was the whip, For the Democrats uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives, the number two leadership position, he was literally drawn out of his district uh, by a reapportionment plan back in, uh, you know, 2002. Uh, A decade earlier, Howard Wolpe was drawn out of his district. Um, both these guys, you can make a case, uh, if they'd been able to just keep their original district that they were elected in, uh, would still be there in Congress. Uh, David Bonier is alive today. He'd still maybe be in Congress. What about that? Are, Are you basically saying the commission should not look at all at seniority or trying to keep somebody in office? It should be blind. It's uh, so Let the lines fall where they fall, and if that causes problems, too bad.
1: We are. I mean, we're saying that the communities and the voters of Michigan should come first. Uh, and that if these lines are being drawn based on community, uh, how how the people and the voters want to be lumped together to have one representative, then, you know, ideally, whoever that candidate is who is winning has built up those relationships and knows those communities and can fairly represent them. And if that changes one year to the next, that's OK. But, you know, you think about right now and there's this big talk about a blue wave and I don't know how you know real or not that is. But, you know, if you have a lot of Democrats end up getting into power and then they're going after some of the favorite Republicans just because they happen to win an election right before these lines are drawn. Is that really fair to then dictate the next 10 years worth of math? Um, And I think what we heard across the state, whether we were in Alpina or Grand Rapids, Lansing, um, uh, even out in Sandusky, was that a lot of people see that manipulation and they're tired of it. And they really just want some accountability and they want to be able to have a say and that they think that, you know, politicians have had their chance to fix it and they haven't.
0: Very good answer. Listen, Katie Fahey, Peter Houck, I want to thank you both. You did a terrific job explaining this. I think you got uh, a lot of the air cleared uh, from listeners who are puzzled uh, about this proposal. I think they know a lot more about it now. Good luck to you in November. We work here. We play here. We live here. We are the
2: Michigan Talk Network.